Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs, and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation, and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames. Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, a podcast by Better CMS. Here we share insights on the intersection of content and web development and how you can align those two often competing forces to create efficiency and drive great business results. I'm your host, Jonathan Ames, guiding you on a journey through the tips, process improvements, and technologies that help marketers and developers harmonize their strengths into cutting-edge digital experiences. Today, I'm meeting with Troy and with Ben of Use All 5, and I'm going to let them intro themselves of kind of who they are and what they do. Troy, do you want to start us off? My name's Troy, and I'm design director at Use All 5. I've been at the company for just under 10 years, coming up on my ninth year, based in Los Angeles, originally from New York. And I balance between brand identity design and web design, mostly in the arts and culture and hospitality space. Excellent. Ben? Yeah, I'm Ben. I'm director at Use All 5. Art director is interesting title. Usually I'm sort of handling a lot of digital design systems and CMS sort of as they would go into CMS. Um, I'm sort of like the translator between the design team and our development team a lot of times. But yeah, I've been with Usual 5 most of my professional career since school, about six years now. Learned a lot there. Now, something that fascinated me when I saw some of the work that you've done is you've worked for a lot of institutional clients like nonprofits and museums and stuff, where I'm sure there's a fair amount of bureaucracy and such to get a project done, especially a big one like a redesign of a website. What drove you in that particular direction? Was it intentional that like we want to go after these types of clients or was that something that just kind of evolved over time? I mean, the studio was born out of UCLA's Design Media Arts program, both Levi, the co-founder, and Jason, CTO, they came out of a design program, university, public university in California, Los Angeles. And a lot of the clients were kind of coming from there, from professors they worked with. And we had the opportunity to actually rebrand and redesign the website for UCLA Arts about like six years ago. And I think kind of being born out of that academic university and art and design community, connected a lot of those dots for us to be working with other museums like Guggenheim, as well as worked with MoCA before and other cultural institutions. I think for me, I, that's one of the reasons I sought out Use All 5 is because they strike that unique balance. We'll have a lot of clients in tech. I think Google is a big client of ours. And then we've always tried to sort of balance that with sort of arts and culture or nonprofit. And that's sort of been our studio ethos or model Really, I think since before I've been there, like I think the big first break that our founders, Levi and Jason, got was the Morphosis site, which is Tom Main, his big architect, I may know his work. And I think they did some really fun stuff for like today still really holds up. But at the time, that was one of their big breaks. And um, since then, we've just been working a lot with architecture, arts, culture, education as well. But the needs are different, sort of switching gears between the sort of more commercial and tech-oriented versus the more culture side and what they need in terms of design services. Or I know we talk a lot about CMS, but the way that they use them is pretty different, the way they're organized. 
Now, one of the big topics we try to hit here often is how do we harmonize code and content? You know, when you're starting out on one of these big projects for, let's say, one of your cultural clients, how do you align those two, kind of the code of what's possible and the creative of also what's possible? How do you make sure that those both get a seat at the table? It's a big challenge. I think we try to work closely with the client and then their development team or our development team just sort of get all the people on board at the beginning and understand everyone's unique needs. And sometimes you find out some bumps along the road along the way, but one larger project's not live yet, so I can't say, but one larger art museum we were working with had a unique challenge where the code and the content, so how do we merge these? Because they have a big archive of artistic works and that's already there and they don't want to tear it up. So how do we build around that? And it was really sort of digging into their archival practices and then also getting to know their archival team and their needs. A lot of times in arts and culture, the budgets are a bit smaller, the teams are a bit smaller, the resources are smaller. So we had to do something that would be lower maintenance and it wouldn't have to re-upload all of this content. So we could just sort of almost reskin and reorganize it, but we couldn't add or subtract tags. We couldn't change the way that the artworks were labeled. So I think it's just really getting to know all of the stakeholders' needs and finding a system that works with their unique situation, which was just limited to deal with that. As I say, something that we've noticed over time too is, you know, institutions move a little bit slower. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You have directors, you have curators, you have board members. You have, there's a lot of people who have a, an important say on how the institution or organization operates. And so identifying the stakeholders like really early on and kind of creating a, an infinity, an affinity group, which is like a smaller group within that stakeholder group where we are more day-to-day with them and they're, we're kind of aligned and like in communication very closely. So that's super important in the beginning, like identifying who that affinity group is. And it could be only like two people maybe on the client's end and they see the work we do sooner. They help us kind of like sell in whatever we're doing to their bigger team. And they like liaison without having these big meetings where all these big stakeholders are there and they're like, how did we get here? Or like not catching those like, you know, gotchas that they have, like sometimes in the past, and luckily with this doesn't really happen anymore, but you know, you're in your second or third round of design, all of a sudden a stakeholder comes in who we didn't know is part of the process and like tables things. They're like, throws a curveball. They're like, oh, wow. Well, there goes all that work. Have you ever had within that kind of affinity group you're talking about people who are going to be the end users who are going to be uploading the content, kind of maintain the site after you design it? Do they ever come in and kind of give you requirements or requests? You're nodding your head. So that is something that happens. Yeah, definitely. They do. And they're usually involved, like they're identified as one of the stakeholders. Someone will also interview too. It early on, we're a big fan of interviewing our clients and the people who are actually, you know, using the CMS and figuring out what their pain points are, what is maybe working already for them that they're like, don't touch that, or you know, what are those sensitive production needs? So we definitely want to get them looped in as soon as possible. That's great. So in the environment where you are you know, creating this strategy and you bring in the different stakeholders, you create this affinity group so you can kind of work day to day, what are the steps afterward once you've kind of, you've got those initial objectives, you think you have everybody's advice except maybe some 
stakeholder comes in late. What's your agency's process then to move the site forward as far as you got everybody in, they're talking, now what's next? Sometimes it's meeting more frequently. Like if there is some kind of misalignment or expectation that might have changed, like we'll encourage like meeting more frequent and even like having a workshop together, whether it's in person or virtually and identifying like the key feature or like whatever that pain point might be and like working through it with them, sketching with them, making them feel like they're part of it. That's usually like the biggest thing is like decisions are being made without them being part of it. And so that will help kind of realign and get things back on track. And even down to like wireframing with the client over, you know, some kind of like share screen, like Fig Jam or Figma or some of these other softwares. Ben, did you have any other additions to that? Yeah, to add to Troy's point, I think working with a client, like education is a big part of it. Instead of trying to feel out where each client is at in terms of their expertise, their knowledge, you know, and like some clients, you can show them things that are very in progress and some can get a little stuck with things. Sometimes you have to be careful when you show it. But generally, yeah, we like to sort of help educate and work through things that are very rough and have a lot of transparency with our process, show things in the early stages and get that feedback early, like more within the affinity group, like Troy said. What have you found has been the factors that lead to a more successful result at the end of the process? The things that you can kind of look back and say, ah, yeah, with this particular project, this went really well because of these things. I think our listeners especially would love to know that if they're starting on one of these projects to say, all right, let's make sure we have these in place. Definitely. That's a good question. And I think, Ben, you could think of some examples too. But on like a top level, I think a value we have as a studio is going beyond the brief. And we see design as a service. Like we really value making our clients feel happy and heard and like getting the design that they need to function as an organization and like making things seamless and simple and user-friendly. All that stuff is very important and like forefront. I think what makes our studio kind of stand out is that we will go beyond the brief and suggest things and challenge our client and consider them in context of their competitors and, you know, what is in the contemporary landscape of web design and try to elevate them and have them stick out from like a key feature that might be pushing technologies that we know or use in addition to kind of, you know, solving those functional issues. And whether it's, you know, being a usability issue or an ADA issue we also like to have delight and surprise in a user experience. And I think that's something that makes a website memorable, stand out, sometimes even become award-winning. Not that every project needs to be an award winner, but like these are things that we consider as we're working with our clients. So kind of allowing for that surprise, bringing in some maybe new technologies and things to their consideration. You feel like that's a factor really to a successful outcome. Definitely. Got it. Yeah. Can you think of any examples, Ben? Yeah, I think those surprises are sort of able to be built on trust, if that makes sense. Like uh, we have to, all the parties, stakeholders have to have some trust of everybody's expertise and sort of defer, I think, to let things move forward sometimes. And then that can allow you to have that extra time to have that extra layer of like icing on the cake and to not just be stuck in sort of the fundamentals. You know, if you can all trust each other to solve the fundamentals, then that can free up time and space. Yeah, just surprise and delight, little extra moments, go above and beyond, fun little micro interactions, 
Easter eggs, things like that. Like when there's that trust, it frees up. The projects I see those on is when there's a lot of trust, I think, between all the stakeholders. So having that trust there where you feel like everyone is working towards the same objective and you can trust the skill levels of those who you're working with. And that comes, I think, from just having clients where you all align on values and then also long working relationships. Mm -hmm. Like we've worked with UCLA for a long time, with Google for years. So I think, yeah, trust sort of gets built over time as well. Yeah, so if those are some of the factors that help in creating a good experience at the end, uh, what are some of the factors that are likely to cause problems where as soon as you see it, you're like, ooh, this is going to be a difficult project. And maybe people can look out for those and try to make sure that they don't happen when they're starting their project. I could chime in a little bit. I think one of the biggest things is there's usually three parties like three core parties that I see. So it's the designer and I'm meeting early on with a client and the client will usually be sort of marketing or content sort of promotional type of person. And they will have their development team sort of in the background, or it'll be our development team in the background. And it's just not bringing development in soon enough. And a lot of times we'll have some amazing designs and then we meet with a development team too late and we realized, oh, this is not feasible. Was the case with the museum in some ways because we made some amazing designs and it was like, well, we don't have the resources to tear it up by the roots. We have this whole archive of artwork. We have this whole code base. And so they were really fun comps and the client loved it. It was a good exercise. So maybe sometime in the future, we'll use those. But yeah, I think it's sort of people working in silos. I've noticed that. I got my start in the agency world and certainly... Even if they just feel left out in the beginning, it can cause tension throughout the project. But I've seen great creative ideas sparked by developers who say, hey, you know, we've noticed you can do this in this new language that we've got. And I've seen it on this other site. This might be something that works really well. And then your creatives kind of grab on there. Oh, yeah. So they begin their creative process with that seed in place. And so, yeah, I definitely believe in getting rid of those silos up front. If you have them, it's going to make it harder. Any experiences you've had, <laughs> things that have kind of made it tougher to have a successful project? Yeah, I think when that like affinity group gets kind of disrupted, like someone moves on, you know, someone goes to another business for whatever reason, they're not there anymore. There's a new person hired that becomes a stakeholder halfway through like that. I've seen where like we're kind of back to the drawing boards or what feels like maybe goes backwards. So that's why that affinity group is so essential to success. Because otherwise, if we mark out in the beginning as much as we can, what are the guardrails and what are the things we need to look out for, it should be successful. Like, because we've, I think that's a blind set that sometimes you just can't avoid and you have to pivot. And sometimes the scope gets bigger too. And that's just kind of the nature of the project. And those usually go on longer. That goes from like a six month project to like a year of project or, or more, you know? Yes, I understand that. I mean, I think often when you get those affinity groups together, sometimes it's that education up front. You have an executive who comes in, maybe was at an organization that had more resources. And so they're like, uh, they're expecting this whole project to be done, you know, within two months. And when you lay out, well, with the resources you have, this is going to take about eight months. Very surprised. So yeah, bringing them all together up front, making sure there's continuity there. And when there's longer breaks too, like when, you know, we go two weeks, three weeks 
without a meeting, I noticed that's where things start to fall apart in expectations and like having just reoccurring quicker connections. What Even if it's like, we're big fans of like recording looms or screen recordings of us, like going through a workflow or a design that's like still in progress. And it's not a full presentation, but like it's a thoughtful walkthrough going through the current state of the design and getting that over makes clients feel way more connected and uh, catches things earlier on. We sometimes let our clients into our Figmas or into our Slacks, but you know, you got to be careful with that too, because that's, you know, it's like letting someone into your home. It's a very personal space and you don't want them to rearrange things in a way that like might be too disruptive. But again, it goes back to trust. It goes back to setting up some ground rules that are understood. And I feel like as our agency gets older, more mature over the years, we get better and better at that and creating like a creative environment where people don't feel diminished and they feel inspired. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate your operational wisdom there and sharing that with us. Let's get now to some of your passions. You know, as far as cutting edge web design, what are you passionate about right now that excites you as you look at like what's possible and what can be done in digital space? That's a really good question. I think definitely a lot of passion. It's always hard focusing in. I think one of the things, use all five, the name comes from, it's a strange name. It comes from using all five senses. And we used to do sort of experiential and environmental design. So I think looking in a lot of places for inspiration, but specifically web design, I come from a print background, so book design. And I'm just excited about really great typography. I think we have so much to learn on the web for these practices and skills that we've been working on since the Gutenberg Bible, you know, very old school graphic design. Just sort of any ways to up typography, then a lot of the worlds are very split, the print and web world, and they sort of don't like each other. But there's some really interesting type foundries that are doing great work. I know Dynamo is thinking about how can type live on the internet with variable fonts and just really great control of how the fonts are displayed, things like that. They're always working on great integrations. Oh, I want to ask you a question about that, Ben. That's Type has come a long ways on the internet. I got my start, I'm going to date myself, back in the 90s when the internet was very, very young. And there really wasn't any kind of typography on the internet except if it was a graphic. Now you have you know, web fonts that are available out there, like you said, in some beautiful formats with a lot of control. There's typically been a push and pull between, do we use these beautiful fonts because it's going to slow down our page load speed and then we're going to have problems with mobile or with SEO? How have you seen, has there been any change in that or do you still feel like there's that push and pull now with the options that are out there? I think performance is something I'd like to think about more as a designer. I know we try to work with our development team closely with that. And I think usually that's with sort of integrations we're using or image size. So with fonts, not as sure. The biggest challenge with us is licensing them, is which one is affordable for how many viewers. Yeah, with font performance, I think in terms of that, it's not so much about the font I choose, but it's about how small can we get this style sheet if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm always trying to cut out anything unnecessary. Like, do we really need light, bold, extra heavy? Do we really need a million sizes? And it's just way easier to maintain. I mean, also depends, I think, on like the client projects and product. Like some projects, you know, it's okay if there's a little bit of flourish or motion or 
So it depends. Like if it's a super utility, then like performance has got to be even a higher priority. I think we always try to prioritize performance, but we also do prioritize like inspirational design, you know, like, and there's certain projects that aren't as critical of like that than others. So that's also like being contextual about who the client is, what the product is. But there's also one thing I'd like to share about the inspiring like web and what's been really capturing my attention. And for me, it's when a website or a web app reacts to our behavior. And I think you have to be really careful with like privacy and all that and keep that in mind. But I find some of the most inspiring websites to react to my behavior and what I'm interested in and what I'm looking at on that site. And then it serves me up different aspects of content in that in that site. For instance, like, you know, and a lot of e-commerce still show you like other things you should consider. Sometimes that's just like a default based on whatever product you're looking at. But like if it also figured out what other things you were looking at or knew what other colors you were looking at and it was a little more tailored to your unique experience. I find that very exciting and and a user experience. We actually did something like this pretty early on for a client called the Bowen Foundation, which is a cultural institution. And they operate under this sign of transition. And they are patrons of art. They make art exhibitions happen over the past few decades, works at Commission Artworks. And we did their website. And as you look through the website, there's a visual tab that tracks like what projects you spent the most time on. So if you looked at one artwork for a longer period of time, it takes up a bigger thumbnail visually. And if you look at one quicker, and then all of a sudden you have this kind of like a visual map of what caught your interest. And I think that's really different way to navigate information on the web and it's dynamic. And it's like, I think that's the power of web and, and digital. It's dynamic nature, similar to variable fonts as well. No, that's very interesting because Marketers for, I think, the last decade have really focused in on personalization, trying to create a personalized experience on their web properties for various people. Now, they have, from the technical standpoint, there's, you know, backends, you know, like Adobe Experience Manager. You have uh, various DXPs that are able to track when you log in and say, all right, we're going to give you specific content there. But what you were talking about is very interesting because it, it sounds like it's not a logged in user, but it's simply looking at your session data and saying, how did they do that? Did they do that uh, through some kind of pre-built solution or was it custom built to do that? It was custom built to do that, but I wish we had one of the developers on to give you more exact tech behind it. But I do know there's a custom feature we did for the client and it came out of one of these like workshops too that we did, you know, with the client closely and thinking kind of broadly, you know, what would make a more enhanced experience so I think that's a, an example of something. If we don't have those kind of blue eye, blue sky, you know, workshops, you don't really come up with these alternative experiences. Yeah, and I think that's partly, you know, it's for budget, but other times it's simply because there's that lack of the planning that you were talking about, where you bring everyone together at the beginning. You just don't know what's possible. Whereas, you know, something like this, it was custom built. Somebody had to say, yeah, I think we can do that on the development side. <laughs> And I'm not sure who came up with that, if it was development or creative that said, hey, we'd like to do this. Yeah. I think typically the design team will come up with an idea with the client. And then before we make any promises, we're like, let's check with development. Or if development's there, they'll they'll riff on it or they'll sometimes prototype it as well before we fully go down a rabbit hole that doesn't actually make it worth it. Absolutely. There's a lot of elegant, simple solutions, which are 
to my understanding, fairly lightweight. Whenever we're trying to do something that will like a client, we will get in touch with Ryan, our developer, who has a film background. And he just has a great sense of timing and animation whenever we need to make some animation happen. One page loads into another seamlessly with a unique URL, like he'll figure it out and we'll match the keyframes and the curves of everything perfectly. So that's one big thing is just fine tuning animation, but that can be pretty heavy. But like a light lift too, a lot of times is we'll just use access to your computer clock and play around with like colors or gradients for time of day. Pretty sure the Use All 5 website does that, right? It was at one point, but we were struggling with yay, depending on the time of day and it, the text working over all the gradients. So back when ADA was not as forefront of mind, I think it's a little easier to play with this. You have to think of scenarios. But I think one thing we try to do is sort of give little portraits of the user or of the client that can be unique as people experience the site. Like you almost leave a trail or footprints through different sites we've built for the Guggenheim. One called Storylines was really fun years back. And like Troy mentioned, the Bowen Foundation. It's sort of like, how can you leave a unique thumbprint on this? Speaking of thumbprints left behind, when you're starting out a project or when you're evaluating afterwards a project, do you go to the data and try to use that to influence the design or influence redesigns? And if so, how do you let that data kind of show you the fingerprints of what's working and what's not? We definitely do. And I think that's somewhere we're looking to improve a lot is I think a lot of times working with clients can be very emotional. I think there's a lot to be said for following your intuition. But that's something we're trying to do more of is connect those analytics. And I think that comes into bringing developers in early on or getting people to set goals that are measurable, like setting KPIs, like, okay, we want to increase signups by this much. So we definitely do. We'll use Google Analytics a lot. We'll try to user test early. And I think we're learning to measure our work in a more quantifiable way, if that makes sense. Coming from, we're starting to build larger platforms and tools, but a lot of earlier sites were just like a one-page experience that's sort of more just promoting something. It always comes back to the client and their needs. Some people just need to make a one-pager that's really unique and fun. And What do you run into typically as your measures of success is it completing the site within a certain time and budget? Is it a certain desired amount of extra actions? Or, you know, is it simply that the affinity committee is happy with the end results? I think there's a, several levels of measuring success, and it might vary between all of us that work on the team. But, you know, just for me, like design as a service, that's how I see it. Like making sure our clients feel satisfied with like what the work we did and that it accomplished what we we're first tasked with, but then also, again, going beyond the brief, like them feeling delighted or surprised by something else we brought to the table, something that makes the website stand out. It's even better, so much so it, it could be an award-winning project, you know, but again, like that's not the only thing we chase after, but I think that goes to show that like we have a passion for this kind of work and we get excited about things on the web that are doing it differently and contemporary and stand out and inspire other organizations and then the health of the team too like we always have postmortems after every project and check in with everyone and see like all right how is everyone feeling about this like we literally map out like what could have been better what went well what like and we really care about the health of our team and 
you know, being excited to work on the projects we work on every day. And I think that's why you see people who work at this company for so long is that's part of measuring success is how we feel about the work we do and continuing to do that. That's a good one. I think I could be a little selfish with measuring success as well as definitely. I think it's like you want to get it in on time. Like you want the management to be happy. You want it on budget on time. You want the client to be happy developers, lightweight, low maintenance, etc. But I think for me, it's when I get to learn something new or try something new that I haven't before. And that's like a real luxury. I think it's easy enough to just get a sort of boilerplate website up. A lot of UX patterns can be pretty similar. It's, it takes a lot of work in terms of time. But yeah, it's when you get to try something new that you haven't got to before. It's really fun. Learn a new technology. I think having those postmortems like you were talking about are really powerful for not only, you know, giving a little hurrah for the things that went well, but also to kind of get inspiration because some of these projects take months, sometimes even over a year, things change during that time. And uh, there's, if you can kind of bring everybody together and see what those changes are in that time, you can set kind of next steps because websites are living things. They're never static. I mean, for a little time, they may be static, but guaranteed something's going to get updated. Something's going to get added and such. Typically, when you're working, after you've finished a project and it's handed off, what is the role that you have afterwards in working with the client to and kind of updates and such? Generally, we'll, a lot of our web projects will have involved some sort of maintenance contract, which will be whoever at the studio they need, developers, designers, to touch stuff up. Um, and sometimes just sort of little bug fixes that I'll see GitHub tickets come in for developers. But as a designer, one thing I see a lot is actually just having to keep educating clients on how to maintain a CMS or how to do something. And yeah, so it's sort of like, oh, well, maybe you could use this type of card for this event or trying to sort of simplify that. So. It's usually a maintenance contract, but it's sort of continuing educating and sort of walking them through things change and develop. They add new events, they add new things, or this new type of content comes up that they hadn't thought of. So do we need to create a new module or new component or can we, how do we adapt that? We also, the developers make like a suite of screen recordings walking through like the CMS and talking about, you know, how to upload various types of content and how to modify pages and use the management system. And those are really helpful, you know, regardless if there is, you know, a retainer or some kind of ongoing maintenance. But often I think uh, we don't just drop it off and say, see you later. We're like, we're around. We want our clients to like feel good using it. And yeah, there's plenty of relationships where it continues and we create new pages or microsites within it. And I think it just depends on each client. All right. I want to get some time for you here at the end where you can kind of talk a little bit about your agency, kind of who best with. But before that, I just want to have two questions I always like to ask people I interview. Uh, one is if you could go back in time and see yourself at the beginning of your career and talk for a minute, what would you tell yourself so that you could do things better? For me, I would say slow down. I was like a bottle rocket coming out of school and like, like just wanted to do a thousand things all at once and was so excited to try this and that and like various 
patterns and like all these tricks, like too many tricks at once, you know? And, and I think, yeah, slowing down would be my biggest advice to myself. Just to, for the like life balance or just because you feel like you could get more out of that kind of slow moment? I think I get more out of the slow moments, higher quality work, less mistakes, more thoughtful decisions. Yeah. Like things that last longer first, but there is also like a life force that comes out of that instinct. And I do think instincts are really important. So there's a balance there of being slower, but also fulfilling your instinctual creative idea. Oh, good advice. Ben, what about you? What would you say to yourself? I would also take that advice. I think for me, and I'm still trying to give myself this advice, I think it's always trying to take your ego out of things. I think it makes it a lot easier on everyone else on the team and yourself, you know, not taking things personally if someone doesn't like your design and just trying to, yeah, just trying to listen better and speak less and let the inspiration come not from so much within like your own need to control things, but sort of just listening to everyone at the table, working if someone else's design or direction or tech stack or whatever is preferred or the right one for the client, you sort of adjust to that. I think maybe less so with developers, but I think in the design industry, ego is really big and it's hard to, how do you balance that wanting to have really quality work that you're proud of, but then also just sort of step back and give people what they need and help the team out? Very good advice. Yeah, I've had instances of that where I've thought I had the answer. And yet, because it's my process, I went into a team meeting and everyone else came in with these ideas and it didn't destroy what I had as the answer. It built it up. It created something that was a synergy that was far better than my answer alone would have been. So definitely a great piece of advice there. So last question before I let you guys talk a little bit about your agency. If you have a book or a podcast or a piece of tech that really you just couldn't do without, it's really made a big impact on your life, share that for our listeners. That's a really good question. I have a book. It's a little hippy-dippy and it's probably more designery, but I think it's still just a good way of working. I think development is very creative. Just working with people is very creative. I've been working through this book, The Artist's Way, and it's very programmatic actually as a process. And it's very much sort of about like being creative, taking your ego out of it, really just putting the time and hours in. And it's more just about showing up approaching things from different angles. So I've, I've been working through that a little bit. The artist way. Awesome. That's where I get most of my book ideas from podcasts. So awesome that you share that. In school, we consume uh, Debbie Millman's podcast and that was very inspiring um, while I was in school. And brand thinking and design mostly. Awesome. Well, let you guys talk a little bit about uh, all five and kind of who would be your best type of customer? Who do you provide the best value for? And uh, how do people find you? So I think like think from a web perspective, we really do a huge range. And it's we can do one-page microsites for small niche restaurant that is opening up with, I don't know, very small amount of seats. Or we can build tools to manage real estate inventories across the country. I think it's someone who is looking for a partnership, who is looking for collaborative work and to learn together. Someone who's nice. I like to work with nice clients. You just cut out about half of the clients out there. 
Yeah. Uh, well, there are certain industries we don't work with because of that. And yeah, I, I think that goes a long ways. Uh, I can work long hours or late nights if someone is kind and vice versa. I think it goes both ways. And those are the relationships. Arts and culture clients are some of our favorites because they have such a tremendous impact on people's lives. They're inspiring. They often value art and design. Um, so they value like our process and they get excited by our ideas. And I think those are some of some of the most yeah, inspiring clients I've worked with, museums, art institutions, nonprofits. But then there's also the technology side of things, which arts and culture is constantly looking at tech for help. And so I think that's where we get to push our development team and even our designers when it comes to integrating new technologies. So I think contemporary arts and culture clients are kind of in that sweet spot where they embrace new technology, but they also care about impacting people's lives and culture and storytelling. And so where can people find you on online or, or on social? Yeah, they can find us at www.useall5.com. And that's U-S-E, all A-L-L-S-I-V-E.com. And then that's the same app handle for Instagram. We're on Behance as well. Where you can see some case studies. But our website goes pretty in-depth. We have a blog as well that has like a lot of interviews and stories about our team and sometimes problems that we've solved from a tech stack standpoint. So I think the website will cover most information, our process, how to get in touch, et cetera. Yeah, would love. We're always looking for new clients or just people to collaborate and chat web design, technology, arts and culture with. Um, just looking to meet new people. Well, thank you so much, Troy and Ben. I really appreciate your insights. Some of the operational experiences that you shared today, I think will be a wonderful help to a lot of people out there who are starting on these projects and want to make sure it goes right. Our pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan, for having us on. Take care. You too. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by Butter CMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dev time, and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.